This reading is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, I said last week, we're doing something this Christmas that the church has been doing for the last 2,000 years, which is looking directly at Jesus. Uh, whether that's through Matthew, through Mark, through Luke, through John, through another part of the Bible, every single Christmas we look directly at who Jesus is because we want to marvel afresh. And there's something that happened yesterday that's helped me to marvel afresh. We went, as we think about Jesus being king, up to London. We went up to the big smoke and we had a real treat because someone else paid for it. That's why it was a treat. And we saw the Lion King like we've never seen it before. Boys and girls, can you give me any one of the characters from The Lion King? Just one. Pumba. He's one of the smelliest characters. Simba. Who's he? Do you know? He's the lion who's the king. Is that a hand? No? Scar. He's the goody, right? Okay, just checking. He got a big boo yesterday. Anyone else? Any adults like a bit of Lion King? Oh, now all they come. We went up to saw the stage of the Lion King. It was phenomenal. I use that word very infrequently. It was absolutely amazing to see these contraptions that people wore to bring the story to life. The singing was incredible. The movement, the lighting, the lot was incredible. And it all put this story to life, but not in animation, but in real life. And I've been thinking, why was it so special? I don't know if you've got a view on that, come and tell me later. But here are the characters that we saw on the stage show. Now, boys and girls, help me as we think about the Lion King to help us think about Jesus. What is the Lion King all about? What's the big question that the songs speak about? What's the uh, question that, the, that is acted out? Who's the king? He's the king. Who's the king? Not who's the king of the jungle. That's a song. But the whole film and the theatre production is about this big question. Who's king? Who's king? That's a great question to ask at Christmas. It's a great, really great question to ask as we look into the Bible now. Because this passage says that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. If you've got the Bible open in front of you or your service sheet there, it's in two paragraphs, this passage, which is very helpful for someone like me who's a bear of little brain, because the first paragraph says, Jesus is king. And the second, quest, second paragraph says, well, 
if Jesus is king, first paragraph, beginning in verse 13 or so, is Jesus your king? Jesus is king. But is Jesus your king? When you uh, think about Jesus being king, Paul begins writing in verse 17, and he says, Jesus is king. He's not a lion on a stage. In this passage, he's described as someone who is before all things. Now think about that, boys and girls. Jesus, this chubby little baby that we remember, is born sometime at this time of year, 2,000 years ago. He is a baby, but he's king. And Paul says, I want to explode your understanding of who Jesus is. He's a king, but like no other king you've ever seen before. And it says in verse 17, he is before all things. Now what does that mean? It means this. Jesus who comes into the mess, Jesus who comes down the stairs, Jesus who's the light that comes into the darkness, he is not, he's not part of creation. He was before it. What does that mean? He is before all things. Jesus is the king of the cosmos. A cosmos is a way of understanding the universe. Put it like this. Is the universe a cosmos where everything is perfectly made, where everything is ordered, where there is a design, where everything has a purpose, even slugs? Or is it a chaos where there's no order, where there's no rule? I think it's a cosmos where our Earth is on an axis of 22 and a half degrees so we don't fly into the sun. How does that happen? Where we have seasons, where we have just the right amount of ozone, although it's being damaged, because we live in a cosmos where there is a king. And this baby that we remember at Christmas, well, he's king of the cosmos, and he's before all things. Paul wants us to think about other things as well. Look down at the next sentence, or the one that preceded it, rather, verse 16. He's the king of the cosmos, and then it says, For by him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. Now here's three pictures. What can you see? Hands up. What can you see on the screen? You see, I see a sea. And what's in the sea? I'm sorry, that's not good enough. We're going to go to English grammar. What's the collective noun for a group of fish? A school. A school. Top of the class. Have a mince pie at the end. It's called, there's a school of fish. I don't know if that's a shark or something, but uh, you can see amazing sea full of a school of fish. What else can you see on the screen? A caravan. Thank you. Um, God made the people who designed the caravan. Yeah, thank you. I can see mountains with snow. I love mountains with snow on. Mount Everest. Mount Everest. I'm not sure that's Mount Everest. I can also see a massive tree, a redwood. Any arborists out there? What's its proper name? Sequoia. Go to the top of the class. It's a sequoia. It's so big, the redwoods, that God has made because he's before all things. He's outside of time and space. He's the king of the cosmos. And all things were made by him. But also, Paul says, verse 17, in him all things hold together. This baby, are you ready for this? This baby 
at the moment he was born, was Lord of the whole earth. He was the creator who was there at the beginning, and even when he was born, he's the king of the universe, he's the creator of the universe, and he's the, big word, the sustainer of the universe. Even when Jesus is a baby, even though he's truly man and truly God, those mountains, those redwoods, those school of fish, those seas, even the people that designed the VW camper, even our heartbeats now and the oxygen in our lungs, everything exists because that baby, Jesus, was and is and will always be king of the cosmos. Now your head should be exploding at this part. That's the baby that we worship at Christmas time. In him all things hold together. Now because Jesus is Lord, because he's the king of the cosmos, he's the king of everything, he's before all things, he made all things, he sustains all things, Paul wants us to think about how we relate to that king. That's who Jesus is. But is he Lord of our lives? He's the king. If we come under his kingship, our lives will be ordered. They will not be as chaotic as they once were. They will not be as dirty as our hearts once were. They will be cleaned up. That's the first paragraph, and here's the second. If Jesus is king of the cosmos, the big question is, is he your king? Is he your king? What do I mean? In sentences 9 to 13, there is a prayer that Paul is praying. And he says these three things. He says, I want you to live a worthy life. I want you to grow, to bear fruit like a fruit tree so that God's power will be seen in your lives. I want you to grow in your understanding of who this king is. Because if he's king, it's really, really important about how you relate to him. And boys and girls, do you know what? Being a Christian is growing in your love relationship to Jesus who came down into the mess to rescue us. And Paul says... It's growing in your understanding of who he is, not just about him, who he is, and that will always change your life. How does that happen? Sentence 12 tells us. Paul writes down, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Here are some big words, but listen in. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That's heaven. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to think about one word, and this picture is for Connie. I've waited all year to show it. It's the word qualified. Connie loves Formula One. Is that right? Head in her hands. This is Lewis Hamilton winning the world championship again. But Paul is writing in verse 12, about this one word, qualified. Qualified. Apparently, Connie will tell me if I'm wrong later, when you're doing qualifying, you're trying to get as quick as you can around a racetrack, and you're trying to get the best time. But there are also some people who don't meet the standard of qualifying. They're too slow. Perhaps they have an engine failure. Perhaps their tires blow out. And so they don't meet the standard. And Paul is saying, I want you to live a life that's worthy of the standard because the Spirit of God, they're Christians, the Spirit of God is in your heart and he's changed you. I want you to live a worthy life in response to what God has done for you. But Paul knows that being qualified is the hardest thing. 
Adults, if we're honest, we try and qualify ourselves before God, not by racing a car, but in many different ways. We try and work really hard. We try and attend things. We try and live a good life. We may not be great, but we're better than the person who we compare ourselves to. And Paul says, I want you to understand how you're qualified. And it's not because Jesus is very good at racing a car. You're qualified because of the life that Jesus raced. You're qualified because of the death that Jesus died. That's what qualifies you, not what you have done. Well, how could that be? How could Jesus qualify us in any way? Paul says, he has rescued you. He came down. Jesus not only is the king who created the whole cosmos, he's not just the king who sustains everything, he's not far away. The Bible says the God who is uh, in charge of the whole universe came down. He came down into the mess. He came down into the dirt. He came down, and Paul says this is why he came down. Verse 13, he came down to rescue you and me. He came down to rescue us because we couldn't rescue ourselves. He came down into the darkness because he's the light of the world that was snuffed out on the cross. And in case you've never really thought about this, that's what Christmas is about. It's the beginning of God's rescue mission. It's the beginning, not of the heroes of Telemark that's going to be on over the next few days, along with all the other films that are on every single Christmas. Wonderful rescue missions from the Second World War. Wonderful escapes from concentration camps and all that sort of stuff. Because there's no good new films, apparently. Here, this is the greatest rescue mission that has ever been. Films have been made about it. Books have been written about it. And it's Jesus' rescue mission. And we are made worthy. We are qualified because of the life Jesus lived and because of the death he died. He exchanges our place. He has ransomed us. He pays the price. All of these different images come into this sentence. Our life for his. His life for ours. It's the great exchange. But how is that really possible? Think about this. Verse 17 says this. The universe holds together because of the birth and the sustaining power of this little baby Jesus. But the cross, and Easter says, the only way you're qualified is the one who holds this universe together, he was ripped apart. The one who holds the universe together by a word of his power, he was ripped apart. And because he was ripped apart, because he died, we can be qualified. We can stand before Jesus and his Father confident. Because the closer you come to living under the kingship of Jesus, the less chaos there be in your life, and the more order there will be in your life. This is what Christmas is about in the sentence. Think about it. What did the angels sing? Did the angels sing? Now unto you given this day as a course of behavior. No, they didn't. They sang this. Today, in the town of David... A saviour has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. That is something to sing about. A rescuer who came, not any rescuer, he's the king of the cosmos. And he laid it all to one side, and he came. 
into the dirt, into the mess. But I've got dirty hands, said the mum. If you've got dirty hands but they're empty, you're in exactly the right place to accept Jesus' kingship, to recognize it, to bow before it. If you've got anything in your hands, as dirty as they are, that you think you can qualify yourselves, then Jesus can't be received by you until you lay those things down. Christmas is something to think about because the Savior has come. He's the King who came. 